0: So we finished up 1 John, now we're in 2 John, written by the same guy, the Apostle John. And uh, 2 John and 3 John were written about the same time as 1 John, uh, before John was exiled to the island of Patmos, where he was there and where he got the revelation of Jesus Christ and wrote the the revelation at the end of your Bible. And uh, so... John's an old guy, and he's getting ready to—he's just kind of thinking about his life, thinking about his legacy, and the Lord's still working in his life and still putting in his heart a desire to leave good fruit and to, to help produce good fruit in the believers that are in his day. And, um, and so John continues to write, and he continues to challenge us. He wrote in, uh, in his gospel in John 15, 5, he said, "'I am the vine.'" Jesus said, "'I am the vine.'" You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So, uh, John's there's a theme, a running theme throughout John's letters. It's mostly love, but it's also obedience and it's it's uh, fruitfulness. It's all kinds of good stuff in there. So, um, as we study Second John this week and Third John next week, First John only has thirteen verses. So, my wife said, "Are you going to sp- uh, speak shorter this week?" Indicating, or I don't know, there was something in, lo, loaded in that question, but I said, probably not. We'll just make it last as long as we can. <laughs> John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So if we want to bear spiritual fruit, we got to stay connected to the vine. If we expect fruit from our trees and from our vines and in our gardens and we've got to make sure that they are healthy and connected. Anytime you sever a branch from the tree or a branch from the vine, what does it do? Uh, It looks okay for a minute, right? But then it just begins to shrivel up and die. So you can trim a tree and put all the branches in a pile and they look like they're still alive, but they're just They've been detached, and so they're just within a couple of days. They're going to look like they've been detached. Let's jump into Second John, verse one. It says, "The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not, not only I but also all who know the truth." Verse two: Because of the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So John is the elder, he's one of the 12, and John's writing this letter, as we have said. He's most likely writing to a church and to the church's congregants, the people within the church. I mean, it's possible that he's writing to a lady. He says to the elect lady. It's possible that he's writing to a lady and her children, but it just doesn't seem like the content of the passage or the the verses here would indicate that. It seems like from the context and the content of the chapter that he's writing to a church. So then in the first century and now here in the 21st century, John is writing to us. He's addressing us to the elect lady, the church, and her children, the congregation. John is defending the truth. He said this, because of the truth, that abides in us and will be with us forever. As we read in 1 John, we see the theme again in 2 John. That theme is truth. So when John talks about truth, he's talking about the truth about God and the truth about the gospel. So um, truth is not a relative term. Truth is, it's not it not relative, it's 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 not subjective. Truth is truth. And as we read through the scripture, the Bible, God's word, we see that truth. And uh, the enemy tries to confuse truth, and maybe that's what's going on in this first century church that John is addressing. Maybe there's more agnostic or esoteric thought floating around in the church. And in any church, in any culture I should say, there's going to be ideas or thoughts that try to kind of creep into the church those ideas or thoughts that aren't biblical at all. And so John being a man of truth is communicating and trying to defend the truth. Verse 2 again, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So John is speaking of an eternal truth, the truth that will impact our eternity and truth that is true for all eternity. And because John is confident in the truth, he can say with confidence, verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. So you, you see the confidence that John has because of the truth that he understands? He knows that because of the truth that is in him and the truth that is with, that, that he's uh, living out that grace, mercy, and, and peace will be the result. He says with confidence, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. Doesn't say might be with us. He said grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father, Son, in truth and love. Grace, mercy, and peace are the fruit of truth. And Jesus Christ, the Lord, is the giver of those good gifts, gifts, grace, and mercy, and peace. He has extended grace and mercy to all who would receive it. For those who have received his grace and mercy, we have peace with God in our hearts. Let me say that again. For those who have received his grace and mercy, we have peace with God in our in our hearts. So, number one, good fruit from a good vine. Number one, the fruit of followers, the fruit of followers of the truth is grace, mercy, and peace. So, what is grace? What is grace? Grace is the boy. It's, it's defined as unmerited favor, the forgiveness of sin. If you are in Christ, then your sins are forgiven. Uh, The gospel can be summed up in three words. I was thinking about this recently. The gospel can be summed up in three words. It's confession, repentance, and lordship. So you'd say, well, confession and repentance, they sound like they're the same, but confession would be just acknowledging your sin before the Lord. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confession has got to be is key to our understanding of truth. We we have to confess our sins, and it's not just a one and done scenario. I was watching a television show last night, and there was an infant baptism in the show, and um, the infant ba- baptism indicated that this child was because they were baptized as an infant that they were going to heaven. And I thought to myself, I wonder how many people, that, that misunderstanding or that error in judgment or just that plain lie is leading astray. Because pe- so How many people got baptized as an infant and, and then their parents said, well you got baptized so you're, you're going to heaven. There's nothing further from the truth in the scripture. There needs to be a, an acknowledgement, a confession of our sin where we say I am a Sinner, Lord, forgive me for my sin. So we need, need to acknowledge it personally and then repent of it. Not just acknowledge it, but repent. The word repent means to have your mind changed about it, actually turn around and head the, 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 different direct, the opposite direction. So there needs to be a, an effort on our part, by the grace of God, to repent and to change our ways. So it's confession plus repentance. And then it's lordship. And so it's about making Jesus the Lord of your life. If you you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so it's confession, repentance, and lordship. So infant baptism, that's why we don't do infant baptism, we do baby dedications because there's nothing in Scripture that would indicate that infant baptism would save anybody. And some would argue that it's baptizing them into the church or into the family of God but I don't see that in Scripture either. So the gospel can be summed up in these three words, confession, repentance, and lordship. So if you've confessed your sin, if you've repented of your sin, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, and all of those things are a regular thing, like Lord, I confess that my heart's not right. Or I repent, Lord, I confess and repent that my heart's not right. Lord, I want my heart to be changed. And Lord, as I confess that my heart's not right and I repent, I want that changed. Lord, I invite you to be Lord over this area of my life. Does that make sense? So it's a constant. So it's a one. You do that at salvation. But then you continue to do that. We continue to do that throughout the life uh, as we follow Jesus. So you've confessed your sin. You've repented of your sin. You've made Jesus the Lord of your life. Confession, repentance, and lordship. And if, so if these words define your faith, then you've received the grace of God. Does that make sense? If, so it's, the grace of God is given freely, but it's given to somebody who has confessed their sin, who's got a heart, a desire to change, and who has said, I'm making Jesus the Lord of my life. So I'm afraid that um, often within the church, it's, we, we've made the gospel so, so much different. We say, well, if you just confess one, once, one and done, uh, and then we go and live your life um, any way you want in the Catholic Church. I don't know if they still do this, but they used to sell indulgences. I'm not picking on the Catholics today, but maybe I am. They would sell indulgences, and that's um, so I guess for a certain amount of money you could buy the right to go indulge yourself in sin, And again, that doesn't seem anywhere found in the scripture. Sounds like a cheap way to raise money. So if these words define your faith, then you've received the grace of God and also the mercy of God. What's the mercy of God? It's defined kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted joined with the desire to help them. Isn't that interesting? Mercy. Sounds like God's relationship to us, right? Mercy, it's God's kindness, it's God's goodwill toward us, the miserable who are lost in our sin and who are afflicted, to join with the desire to help them, God's desire to help us. Hebrews four fifteen and 16 says this, for we do not have Grace, mercy, and peace. Peace between individuals is kind of the, it's peace with God and peace with others. I just would ask you, uh, because it's an indication of kind of where you're at with your walk with the Lord, do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace, I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid so the fruit of followers of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ grace mercy and peace so it, that's you 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 will see that throughout the old and the new testament that's a common theme because it's God's theme that He's communicating to us throughout the Scripture. Good fruit from a good vine. Number one, the fruit of followers of the truth is grace, mercy, and peace. Number true, Number two, the fruit of followers of the truth is love. And again, this is part of John's theme. John was called the beloved disciple. And in all of his writings, he's talking about our responsibility, our, our responsibility to love. He's talking about God's love for us, but also our responsibility to love God and to love others. So John continues in verse 4 of 2 John. He said, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. So he's happy about that. Just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, I ask you, church, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another i um i'm at odds with a guy in my life right now and um, i don't know why even but i saw this guy yesterday and i'm like hey i don't know what i did (laughs) i must have done something but i i just want to apologize i want to be your friend and uh, this person looked at me and said i don't i don't have time for you right now and I thought, wow, I don't know what it's going to take to break through with this person, but I know that it's my responsibility to continue to try to love this person. If love is not the fruit of my faith, there's something wrong with my faith. As I examined my own life, I realized that if love is not th- part of my faith or the fruit of my faith and there's something wrong with my faith or maybe I just need a nap (laughs) depending on the day (laughs) or maybe my heart is just not right with God in some arenas in some areas and so whenever I'm struggling to love someone and we'll kind of define loving doesn't mean agreeing with everybody or the person that you're even trying to love. love, love has nothing to do with agreeing with that person. Love have, has everything to do with what God, it's, it's what God has called us to do in this earth. And so if love is not the fruit of my faith, there's something wrong with my faith. And so I have to continue to go back to the mirror and say, God, what is wrong with my faith that I'm not able to love this person? Where's my heart out of sync with yours? because I'm struggling to love this person. And I don't know about for you, but for me a lack of love results in a critical spirit. Um, So I know that when I'm being critical I need to examine my own life. I need to look in the mirror and get the log out of my own eye before I try to get the speck out of my brother's eye. So there's indicators in my life, um, probably the biggest thing is just critical spirit. That's kind of surfaces in my life. And, and, and honestly, too, sometimes it's just a lack of understanding of the grace of God. And I, I realize when my heart is out of sync with God's, um, I'm not understanding the grace of God. Like I want God's grace for me and all my imperfections, but I don't want great God's grace for the person in my life who's given me heartache and heartburn and so maybe i need to understand the grace of god in a fresh way if i'm struggling to love because i, I my heart when i my heart's in the right place i want to extend grace to the people who are giving me heartburn because god has extended grace to me when i've given him heartburn if <laughs> god can get heartburn i don't know but you know what i'm saying So I need to extend grace to others whether they deserve it or not. Jesus didn't say, love your neighbor if they're good to you or if they deserve it. He just said, love your neighbor. So again, everything that God's asked us to do in the Scripture, and it's a supernatural thing that God has asked us to do. Everything that God requires of us requires that His Spirit is within us. So God calls us to love others whether they deserve it or not, whether they change or not. Sometimes we think, oh if I love this person they'll change and so it's not real love, it's just a manipulation, it's a motivation to try to change that person. This love thing is is challenging, right? The Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 18, If it is possible, such or as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men and, 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 and women. That's inferred there as well. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, men and women. You, as much as it's possible, we need to be at peace with everyone, to love everyone. Extending grace to others. Again, doesn't mean uh, agreeing with them, but it does mean praying for them. Um, Speaking the truth in love to them, treating them with respect. When I was in sales uh, years ago, before I was in the ministry, I had a sales territory. I was 23 years old, and I had a territory from San Luis Obispo north to the Oregon border. And so at 23, I was handed a set of keys to a car, and they said, hey, go sell. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So, um, and you kind of sink or swim, but I had a lot of, uh, I, de- I developed business within the prison system, so I'd go into lots of prisons all over the state of California. And um, a lot of them were pretty hardcore prisons, and the men that I dealt with, mainly dealt with the men, I didn't, didn't go into women's prisons, but, uh, uh, some of these men were, were pretty hardcore and They're in there because of all kinds of gnarly crimes. And so I decided early on that I was just going to treat them like I would treat anybody else. <laughs> and in that way, I would uh, show them respect and build relationships, but I also would demonstrate just the love of Christ in these relationships with people. So they... Um, they were in the penitentiary because they had killed or raped or robbed or whatever they did. But I decided that I would just love them in spite of all of that stuff. And part of it was self-preservation because if you, if you go into a place like that and you pretend like you're better than they are, they'll kill you. <laughs> they'll just kill you, right? They're in their, a lot of, them for life anyway, so whether they smile at you or shank you, they don't care. And so I found that because of self-preservation, but ultimately because I just I really wanted to point these people to Jesus and just show them some, some love and respect. The Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God's asking us to do what He did to love those who are a wreck because we're all in the same camp apart from God's <laughs> grace and at work in our lives. We, we, you know, we, we live in a culture that's, that's in- increasingly divided. Uh, June is Pride Month all over the world. I guess just maybe in our nation. I don't know. And so like our mayor... This city council meeting this week, Tuesday, is declaring that for the city of Arrea Grande, it will be Pride Month. We will honor it as Pride Month. Fine and then, from what I understand, there's going to be a vote on whether to fly a rainbow flag through the month of June so boy as I kind of got this information and began to think about why, how, what's our Christian response to this whole cultural dynamic? And it's something that we all need to be thinking about. What is our Christian response? Because our fleshly response is maybe, uh, maybe you agree with it, so you're like, hey. Maybe you disagree with it, so you're like, eh. What is, God, what is your response, what is your biblical response to something like this and so i just thought well there's lots of months i mean we just came out of may which was asian pacific american heritage month all right but there's no promote there's no nothing that's, no no group that's trying to promote a flag, flying the flag of Asia Pacific American Heritage Month. It's just not happening. In, in February, it's Black History Month. In March, it's National Women's History Month and Irish American Heritage Month. In April, it's National Arab American Heritage Month. Again, May, Asia Pacific American Heritage Month. June, Gay and Lesbian Pride Month. Oh, also in May, uh, Jewish American Heritage Month. (laughs) You're here. (laughs) Also in June, uh, Caribbean American Heritage Month. In August, it's Diversity Awareness Month. In September, it's Hispanic Heritage Month. In October, it's Disability Employment Awareness Month. In November, it's American Indian and Alaska Native Heritage Month. Oh, October also, it's Filipino American History Month. So July is open. January's open and December's open. But in some months there's like multiples, like in May, I think there's multiples in May and June. So we either need to get like a taller flagpole or we need to just remember what we hoist a flag for. We have an American flag because whether you're Asia Pacific, Asian Pacific or Mexican or Middle Eastern, wherever you hail from or whatever your nationality is in this country, if you're here, you're, you're living in America, and so we, we honor the American flag. If you live in this state, you're in California, and so we honor the California flag. <sighs> Now, my mother in law was in a wheelchair for 50 years or so because she got hit by a drunk driver. And uh, she never once asked for a flag to be made and for, you know, a flag to be flown during Disability Employees Month. There's lots of Mexicans, Hispanics, Asians, all kinds of people that live in this community. In this community, uh, there's lots of Japanese, lots of Mexicans, lots of black people. There's lots of people. But the common element for all of us is that we're Americans. We live in America and we live in California, so we fly those flags. And so I don't know what I'm going to do on Tuesday if I'm going to go to the city council meeting and just kind of give my little spiel or I don't know what I'm if I'm going to write to the city council and just express my opinion but I know that whatever I do it's got to be done with the heart and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and so I'm, I'm wrestling with that trying to figure out what to do with that because I've got people in my life who have same-sex attraction I know people who are gay and lesbian and um, and I love them. I do. I don't agree with them. Just like I've got people in my life who have got different political views, I love them, but I don't agree with them. Just like I've got people in my life who have different religious views, I, I love them, but I do not agree with them. And so what is our response as Bible-believing followers of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ? And is our response predominantly one of love? Not agreement, because that's not love. But love that would speak the truth and be gracious and kind, whether they change or not, whether we agree with them or not. What is our response? And this is something that we all need to be thinking about because every one of you are in the same boat. You've all got people in your lives who have same-sex attraction. You have, some of you have kids or parents or family members who are living in the gay and lesbian lifestyle. You've got people in your life who have different political perspectives and views than you, different religious perspectives and views. And so you need to be thinking about, we need to be thinking about how do we respond to those people with the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know at some point there's got to be a conversation where we can both share our hearts. Like, hey, this is why I believe what I believe, Um, even though we disagree can we at least have a conversation I think that's what's lost in our culture is the ability to have a dialogue an unheeded heart to heart dialogue it's a cancel culture where if you disagree with me you can cancel me and I guess that's your choice and you're right But I think God's called us to be in the world, to impact the world, to give every person in our lives the opportunity to hear the truth. And... um, Yielding or buckling or compromising our own convictions so that we don't have to have those hard conversations is that's not that's not what god has called us to do he's called us to take a stand for truth and so i don't think there's in fact i know there's not a formula there's not a formula that says do a b and c one two and three and you will have a successful dialogue with someone who disagrees with you but i think you need to be present in the conversation unemotional as much as possible honoring at all times a gracious but speaking the truth in love Love, it's a tough topic, right? Verse 6, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. This is the commandment, that we love God and we love others. Mark 12, Jesus was asked, which commandment is the most important of all? And so these were his religious and even political enemies who were trying to trap him. Jesus answered, the most important is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So how's your love for God? I think as we address that question, how is my love for God, am I loving God with every part of my being? Because I know that when I'm doing well in that arena, I'm able to love others the same way. I'm less, um, reactive, less emotional. And not, not that emotion is a bad thing, but it can get us stirred up in an unhealthy way. And this is true of between husbands and wives too. Let me just say that. I don't know why I'm thinking about that, but you will, if you approach your relationships with too much emotion. There's too much, too much emotion writing. You will. You'll never. You'll never get to a, a healthy um, compromise, for lack of a better term. So you got to stand on the truth, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then just be present in the conversation, and then just talk honestly about about what you believe and why you believe it. So how's your love for God and as you answer that question you'll be be able to answer the question how's your love for others? So then I'll ask you this question, how do you need to love God better? And how do you need to love others better? Because good fruit from a good vine, the fruit of followers of the truth is love. We cannot escape that. It's grace, mercy, and peace, and it is love. And then number three, the fruit of followers of the truth is steadfastness. Some of us just want to quit because it's just too much work in this culture to be a Christian. We're like, I just want to blend in. There's always been, I would imagine in Noah's day when the prophet Noah is saying hey there's, because of the judgment of God there's going to be a, a flood sent to the earth and people are laughing and scoffing at him because there had never been rain before. I'm sure that Noah was just wanting to quit because he's building this boat where there's never been rain. Why, because he's walking by faith and not by sight. I'm sure that at, when the early church leaders were arrested and imprisoned and beaten, I'm sure at some point in their flesh, they said, man, I, maybe if I just acquiesce, maybe if I just go along, the fruit of followers of the truth is steadfastness. Followers of the truth, they don't give up. We just don't give up. We keep following the truth. We fight through the confusion by coming back to the word of God. We resist being distracted by coming back to the word of God. We remind ourselves of the truth of what it means to be a follower of the lord jesus christ that i must love the lord my god with all my heart soul mind and strength and i must love others as myself john said in second john 7 for many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of jesus christ in the flesh and such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist So as John talks about the Antichrist, there have actually been many Antichrists throughout Scripture throughout history, but there will be one final Antichrist at the end. One final Antichrist, a ruler who will rule over the whole world. There will be a one-world government where this Antichrist will rule over the whole world. You think things are bad now? things will get really bad. Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum are working to bring about this plan even now for 50 years. The apostle John describes this antichrist in Rome in Revelation chapter 13. He describes this ruler of a vast Empire as having power and great authority given to him by Satan himself. We're going to start talking. We're going to jump into Revelations here in a few weeks, but just as a little teaser, it says here in Revelation 13, 1 and 2, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, and we'll unpack all of this imagery when we get to it, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. So the beast is the Antichrist. He's a man, and the dragon is the devil himself, Satan himself, who gives authority to the Antichrist. That's Revelation 13, 1 and 2. Revelation 13, 3 and 4, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon. For he had given his authority to the beast. Again, the dragon is Satan. The beast is the Antichrist. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? So this final antichrist will have authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. This person will be the leader of a one-world government that is recognized as sovereign over all the governments, all, all all the governments of the earth and throughout the church age. Other antichrists have been paving the way and the world will worship this antichrist. Every Antichrist up to this point has been working to destroy God's work in the earth. The final Antichrist will do the same. He will work to destroy God's work in the earth. He will deceive the nations, and he will be judged by God and cast into hell ultimately. So there's plenty of distractions in the earth now. There always have been, and there always will be until God wraps everything up and so in the first century and in here in the now in in the here and now john warns verse 8 watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for but may win a full reward watch yourselves the fruit of followers of the truth is steadfastness in spite of what comes You will never be steadfast. I will never be steadfast. We we will never be steadfast unless we're sticking to God's truth in his word, unless we're staying in church, in fellowship with like-minded people, unless we're about our Father's business. As soon as we get distracted from the word, get distracted from church and wander from truth, we lose our ability to be steadfast. So we wrap up verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teachings has both the Father and the Son. So going back to John 15, Jesus said, he who abides in me will bear much fruit. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. So if anybody comes to you and doesn't agree with the scripture, the doctrine of the scripture, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink, he said in verse 12. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Hmm. How's your fruit? (laughs) How's your fruit? When I go into my garden and I see bad fruit on a tree, I wonder the condition of that tree. How's the condition of your heart, your relationship with God? Are you following the truth? is good fruit flowing from your life, being produced in your life. The fruit of grace, mercy, and peace. The fruit of love. The fruit of steadfastness. I have a feeling that this fruit of steadfastness well, it's going to be greatly tested as the days and weeks and months hit us. Let's go ahead and come forward, worship team. Go ahead and stand up. Lord, these are sober times and uh, we need your grace, we need your help. We pray for your grace and for your help. It's been a bit of a sober message, Lord, but I pray that the truth of your word has sunk in and that we would have that fruit, grace, mercy, peace, love, and steadfastness, Lord. That our lives would be change that we would know how to live in this culture that is so contrary to your word and contrary to your ways show us how to live properly we pray in jesus name amen let's worship